Good morning. Let's get that one more time. Good morning. Um, guys, my name is Chuan Kim. I am um, the church planting resident here at the well. Well, thank you. <laughs> Got some, um, those, are my, those are my people that are planting with us. So. Um, man, I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to share God's word. And man, I hope you guys are recovering uh, from your week of sin. Um, <laughs> I say that, I'm half kidding, but I'm actually trying to be a little bit honest here because man, Thanksgiving is actually my favorite holiday. Um, <laughs> and it's because I'm a sinner. I'm going to be honest with y'all. I'm going to be real with y'all. It's because I'm a sinner. It's because I love food, and food is my thing. Um, if you come and talk to me, I evangelize food. Um, even Tori knows that. Like, I got him on that, that little Asian um, persuasion of, of food. He went to a Korean barbecue, and he's like, man, this thing, this slaps, you know. Um, and that means awesome. For those of y'all don't, that don't know. Uh, but man, I love food, and Thanksgiving is a day where we celebrate eating. <laughs> you guys may say that it's about family and being thankful for things. <laughs> As she's eating right now. Sorry, sorry, I got a little distracted. Because Stephanie's enjoying a taco right now. Um, we may say it's a great time with family, but let's be honest. Um, it would be hard to spend time with family if there wasn't a glorious Thanksgiving meal that we um, get to share together. Um, and man, um, it's just awesome to be able um, to share a meal together. And man, we are thankful for so many things, but me and Christine were talking about how we are so thankful to be here with family and that we are about to digest the greatest meal in God's word together. See what I did there? No, I'm just kidding. Um, man, I'm excited because we get to unpack Jonah. And I'm going to be honest with y'all, like, Tori has been bringing the fire every single week. Every single week, I've been so convicted and moved and challenged and encouraged in this series as we're looking at Jonah, the anti-prophet. And we are going to pick off where he left off. Before I do that, I want us to do a little bit of a recap, just so we can get our um, minds around what's happening here. So chapter one, um, God calls a prophet Jonah to go and preach to the city of Nineveh, which is a great city, an evil city. But Jonah, he does the opposite by fleeing away to a city called Tarshish. And it's ironic that God is calling Jonah to preach to a people to bring them to the presence of the Lord, but it's Jonah who flees from the presence of the Lord. Then Jonah is on a ship. He is fleeing from the presence of the Lord, like that can happen, and is met with the presence of the Lord with a storm. Where these professional sailors are scared of, I mean, and they're calling out to their gods. And this pagan captain on the ship is actually acting more like a prophet than Jonah asking him to arise and call out to your God. But it's Jonah himself that says he needs to be thrown into the storm. And Jonah is thrown overboard and immediately the sea was calm. And these sailors were saved as they professed in the name of Yahweh. 
Then last week, we see Jonah who is drowning, and the water is taking his life. This is it. He's dying, and he's praying to God. And as that prayer is brought to God, what happens? God relents and meets Jonah with grace by sending a fish. And this fish is obedient to God and swallows him. And then finally in verse 10, it says, And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. That's where we left off. Now, I'm reminding us of the story, and I want us to remind us that this is not a story about a storm. It's not a story about a boat, and it sure isn't a story about a whale or a fish. It is about a rebellious prophet who time after time encounters a more persistent God of grace. That following the presence of God is understanding the presence of his grace. That following the presence of God is understanding the persistence of his grace. And that is a question I want to ask this morning is this. Do you follow the presence of God because you know his grace? Do you follow the presence of God because you know his persistent grace? So I'm going to give a three... I mean, a, a, a three-point sermon, because I am still Presbyterian, even though I've been at the well for four months. Um, Tori has not um, got that out of me yet. So we're going to go three points. My first point is this, the persistence of grace, the persistence of grace, the response is my second point, the response, and the third is living in grace. Persistence of grace, the response and then living in grace. So let's turn our Bibles to Jonah chapter 3. Um, if you don't have a Bible, you can go ahead and raise your hand, and the ushers will come up, and they will hand you a Bible. That is our gift to you. Here at the well, we want your eyes to be in the Word. If you have um, phones, you can also follow us on the YouVersion app. Um, I worked hard on my points, but and you guys can take notes as I put them up there for you guys and be a little bit more Presbyterian. Um, guys, again, if, if you guys don't have a Bible, those are for you. And guys, it's Cyber Monday. Um, hopefully Bibles are on sale. Um, so if you guys are looking to get a, a nice leather Bible, um, this is the time to get it. Actually, I don't even know if they're on sale, but yeah, that would be great. All right, let's go. Let's go. Let's dive into Jonah chapter 3. This is what the word of the Lord says. It says this. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah, and it says the second time saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breath. And Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Verse 6, the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation 
and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out to the mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. And he says, who knows that God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not be perished. Should we not perish? And this is what verse 10 says. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, it says God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. This is the word of the Lord. First point, the persistence of grace. So verse 1, just as we read, it says this. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah, and it says, the second time, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, the great city, and call against it the message that I tell you. So think about this. Here's Jonah. A fish throws him up, and the word of the Lord comes to him, and it says again, a second time, and says, Go to Nineveh. Here's a prophet who is supposed to proclaim the word of the Lord. He runs because he doesn't know God's heart. And time after time, God continues to show him grace. God did not have to use this rebellious prophet. In fact, if this prophet was running away from God and he himself wanted, he himself wanted to die, if God let Jonah die, it would be just. But God is still persistent in using Jonah that even though himself doesn't um, know he needs grace. Why? Because the proclamation of grace isn't just for the Ninevites, but God is also doing a work in Jonah. He is showing yet again the persistence of his love for Jonah, a rebellious prophet. And think about this. He wants to do a mighty work through Jonah to bring one of the most violent, unmoral, sinful people into repentance. And he's using the most rebellious, moral-filled, sinful prophets to proclaim his beauty of grace. I'm going to repeat that. He wants to do a mighty work through Jonah to bring one of the most violent, unmoral, sinful people into repentance. And he is using the most rebellious, moral-filled, sinful prophets to proclaim his beauty of grace. God gives Jonah a second opportunity to go preach his word. God chooses to use this rebellious prophet. Why? Because God is a, is a missional God. And his heart is a pursuit to save people, to show them the power of grace. That God is still after Jonah and still after the Ninevites. That God would choose to use the story and the proclamation of Jonah to bring a city into repentance. And Jonah, who is living a life of sin, taking matters into his own hands, a prophet who doesn't want to live out the will of God and who is driven by his own blind sin, is met with death multiple times. He deserves death. He's shown grace time after time after time. 
as he commands Jonah to arise a second time. Man, I don't know about you guys, but I can relate to that. I can relate to Jonah. There were so many times that I'm so passive about my faith, where God is commanding me to be bold in his grace, and the passivity that's in my heart doesn't want to preach in boldness the grace of God. And there are so many times where I fail from sin and all these things happen and that I mess up and that God shows me grace and I am reminded of his grace daily as God continues to pour upon me a second opportunity. Do you believe in the power of grace? Are you reminded of grace. Do you understand that God is after you and continues to show us grace time after time after time after time? So Jonah, what does he do? He obeys God, kind of, right? He goes to the city of Nineveh, and then verse 3 says this, so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. It says, now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey and breath. Now the author here is showing us a couple of things. He's talking about the mass size of Nineveh by saying it's exceedingly big, but he's also making a point here because the root of that word is actually important. And the word and the root that he's using is actually El, which means Elohim which as we know in Hebrew, that means God. So there's a lot of commentators that will go ahead and, and, and translate this passage that, that Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord, and it says, now Nineveh was important to God. So Jonah, who wrote this book, is showing that this is a city that is important to God, that God's heart was for this city, that his will and purpose was to preach grace to this city. Now think about this, right? Because if you remember the city of Nineveh, as Tori mentioned multiple times, this wasn't just a normal city. The Assyrians were a brutal people. In fact, throughout the Old Testament, we see the Assyrians were the one who brutally um, pillaged and killed many people. In fact, some scholars actually believe the act of crucifixion was rooted from Nineveh. Because they said that they would go and they would um, take over a city and, and they would display their power by hanging children, men and women, on a hill, on a stake for all to see. These were people who were unmoral and violent against all cities. They did not show mercy, nor did they even care for mercy. They would kill men, women, and children and set as an example. And here is Jonah, and we get God who says, mercy is what I want to show this city. Because why? Because it's important to me. Because it's important to God. 
He says, I'm going to use you, Jonah, even as you run away. I'm going to bring you back, even if, you ha- if I have to use a fish to get you back. Even if you don't want to, I'm going to use you to make an impact on a rebellious city to bring them to repentance. And even though you and the city deserve destruction because of your rebellion against me, I want to show you grace because you are important. God is persistent in reaching Nineveh because God's heart is for the city. Because God's heart is for his people. His grace is after us and after our city. God continues to show his faithfulness by not giving up on them, by giving them a second and third and fourth chance to receive grace that God is for us and for our city. Do you see the impact that God is trying to say. And fam, isn't this the very reason for our church? That our church leaders and elders are intentional of where we are planting churches. That Tory, seven years ago, he could have picked any location around Austin, but at the time, God gave him a heart for East Austin. And I don't know if he tells you But when he picked East Austin, almost everybody laughed at the well being planted in one of the hardest places in Austin. In fact, all statistics shows that this place isn't where you should plant a new church. But what happened? It's God who understood the importance of the city that called 11 people to plant a church in East Austin to boldly proclaim the message that God has given them, that this is a place where the gospel is taught, preached, and lived out to make an impact on community and this city. That we are intentional about the Christmas drive, that we are praying over these gifts to give to the children at this school that we are going to be intentional as we move to Martin to make an impact. Because where there is God's will, where does the darkness hide? The city is important to God. That following the presence of God sometimes doesn't make sense because God's ways are not our ways. That our church become a church that will understand the heart of God and the call to make an impact on the city of Austin. We will respond. Will we respond to his heart for the city? That God is after his people. That his persistent in showing grace time after time after time. You believe that God is after you and after the city. It leads me to my second point, the response. The response. It says this. It says, three days' journey and breath, Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown, and the people of Nineveh believed God. Now, studying ancient Near East culture, there's a great significance to the great city that is three days' journey. And what's happening here, one commentary talks about the importance of what Jonah is trying to say in this one sentence. That it would take a prophet three days actually to make any impact on any proclamation to any city. 
So what would happen is a, a prophet would go into the city, and he would go, and the first day would be a journey to go into the city. He would settle in, and then he would find out where he needs to go to proclaim the word of the Lord. On the second day, he would go out to the, to the public places and preach the word that has been given to him. And they say that it's not until the third day that actually somebody may hear what he's trying to say. But look at this. It says, the fact that Jonah says that the first day he went to proclaim the word of the Lord shows the need that people have to hear the word of the Lord. It's almost saying that Jonah said seven words. He says, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Five words in Hebrew. And then immediately the people believed God. Think about that. The response shows that the people needed to hear the word. And think about this. Jonah preaches the worst message that I've ever heard. <laughs> if I came up here and was like, guys, in 40 days, Austin will be overthrown. And I can't, I was like, oh, let's pray. <laughs> Tori would never, he would say that I can never preach again. I probably would be kicked out. Jonah preaches probably the worst sermon I ever heard. He doesn't talk about God. He doesn't mention any wrongdoing by the Ninevites. He doesn't say you shall turn away from your selfish ways and turn from your violent ways. He, no, he says five words in Hebrew, and he's actually preaching judgment on the people, and there's an immediate response to the word of the Lord. In fact, in fact, this is the greatest sign of revival in all of Scripture because a whole city repents and turns from their sin. One of the worst sermons leads to the greatest revivals. That from a small fraction of obedience, a whole city comes to repentance. That from a small fraction of obedience, a whole city comes to repentance. And there is unreal repentance that happens from a pathetically preached message because God's will is going to be accomplished. And when God is coming after his people, nothing will be able to stop the message of grace. God is for our city. Man, I remember, so before I came to the well, I actually was a youth pastor. I was a youth pastor for seven years. Man, that's, it's crazy to think about seven years as a youth pastor. So I actually saw a class graduate from sixth grade to twelfth grade, and it was such a blessing to, to see that. Um, and it was a hard transition for me, and it was, it was hard uh, being a youth pastor uh, at the Korean church. Um, and I remember that our last winter retreat, um, I was leading the retreat, and for some reason I thought it was a good idea that I would actually preach during that retreat. And just to let you know, it is not a good idea to lead and to preach at a retreat. Uh, but I was being ambitious, and I wanted to do that. And days, up, days leading up to the retreat, actually my son, Isaiah, got sick. So he got the flu. And as you parents know, if your son gets sick, what happens to you? You get sick. So it was two days before the retreat, and I had the flu. So I was like sweating, I was like in um, cold sweats, I didn't know what I was going to do, and I went up to preach my first sermon, 
I'm going to be honest with you, I probably need to repent of that sermon because I had no idea what I was saying. I was like sweating, my, my thoughts weren't there, the process of what I was trying to um, convey wasn't there, and then the retreat happens, and I, and I feel like I killed the second and the third sermon, I did really well on the second and third sermon, and you know, I thought like, oh man, the, the, the last night that sermon was the most powerful, and I felt like that. And then on the open mic, when we're talking about and debriefing the retreat, every single person did not talk about the sermon that I thought I did well but they talked about that first sermon. And as any preacher knows, there's so many times where you feel like you preach God's word and you didn't do well, but that is when the spirit of the Lord is moving because it's God who saves. It is God who saves. The city of Nineveh immediately responds to the message that comes from Jonah. It is as if God is showing that he prepared the hearts of the people of Nineveh, that he went before Jonah to prepare their hearts to receive the word, and the prophet proclaims and, to bring, and brings them into repentance. And look at the response. Look at the response. This is what it says. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles that neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not flee, or let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out to the mightily to God that every Everyone turned from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Think about this. Here is a pagan king who came off of his throne. He isn't told to arise, but he takes action by responding. The king arose immediately, and he responds. He does the very opposite of what Jonah, who is a prophet, does. Look at that. In chapter 1, who tells Jonah to arise? God, God tells Jonah to arise. Later in the ship, the captain was the one who had to tell Jonah to arise from his sleep. Then God tells Jonah a second time to arise to go to Nineveh. And here in chapter 3, we see it is a king who wasn't told to arise from his throne. But he literally stood up and when he heard the word of the Lord. That God desired his servant to respond like this pagan king. It was a pagan king who heard the word of the Lord and immediately stands off of his throne and sits in his ashes. He repents. He takes action. The taking off of his robe signifies the act of submission. He covers himself in sackcloth. What sackcloth is, it's like burlap. It's itchy. It's gross. It's supposed to make you uncomfortable. They used it for mourning. And the king literally sat in ashes, which symbolized a sense of hopelessness. And he sends out a proclamation for all people, children, and even animals to turn away from their evil ways and from their violence and fast from all food to show a sign of repentance that God would relent from his righteous anger. Think about that. How do you approach repentance? It's not enough to fast for sin. 
but we must fast from sin. Here's a nation who knows that they deserve destruction. They know they are at fault. And when the Spirit of the Lord comes to preach a five-word sermon, a whole city repents, turning from their evil ways. And they cling on to the mercy of Yahweh. The city acts immediately. They don't make a strategic plan to fortify their walls, nor do they laugh at the prophet. But when the Spirit of the Lord comes, they don't know what to do but to respond immediately. It's as if the king of Nineveh is saying we are guilty of the sin that we have committed, and now we are at the mercy of God, and only God can save us. Isn't that what he says? And the people of Nineveh, I mean, it says, who knows that God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Family, do we respond in repentance? Do you respond immediately, hating the very sin you commit? Or do you hold on to be passive? Even the pagans act immediately to the word of the Lord. And active repentance leads to a greater need. When we are actively repenting, we are actually praying and seeking for a greater need. And the king is sitting there in his ashes, saying, I'm at the mercy of you, God. And look at this. Look at, the, look at God's response of grace. What does this say in verse 10? It says, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. that God responded with grace. So my last point, living in grace. I know I look silly drinking from this water, but I gotta, I gotta hydrate, because we're gonna, we're gonna get it, ready? So what is God showing Jonah in the Ninevites? What is he showing them? He is pointing them toward an answer that will not fail. He's, follow, he's showing them his heart, but showing that there is a way. So what do we do with verse 10? It almost seems like that we have a God who wanted to destroy Nineveh because of their evil ways. And the prophet Jonah didn't preach a false message when he said, You have 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And yet in verse 10, we have God who relents from what he had said that he would do. So what is God trying to show Jonah and show Nineveh and show us thousands of years later? What he's showing is that God is a God of grace. That even in a rebellious prophet in Jonah, that God wanted to send a mediator for his people. That God's will was to send Jonah to be a mediator for his people. That in God's sovereign will is that he would appoint a mediator to go and preach a message to bring a whole city into repentance so that he would relent. God is showing the people what? Grace. He is pointing them towards something better. He is pointing them to a day and the need that we have for the ultimate mediator. And isn't that what we have in Jesus? 
In fact, in Matthew 12, 38 through 41, this is what Jesus says. He, some Pharisees and scribes um, answered him saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. And this is what Jesus says. He says and he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seek for a sign. But no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And it says, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with the generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And get this, what does he say? He says, and behold, something greater than Jonah has arrived. Do you believe that something greater than Jonah has arrived? Jesus is quoting Jonah chapter 3. He's saying a whole city came to repentance with this message, and a whole city was at the mercy of God to send a Savior. And Jesus in Matthew 12 is saying to the Pharisees, don't you see that I have come, that the Savior has come, that Advent is here. I am the greater Jonah, where Jonah's a story of grace, and that ultimate grace has arrived, that Jesus has arrived. And we see Jesus throughout Jonah, because Jonah is a message of grace. You see the intentionality of God here, that in Jonah chapter 1, where Jonah is sleeping on the boat, and the winds come against it, and the sailors are in panic because they have no answer, we see the same scene that happens to the greater Jonah and Jesus in Matthew chapter 8. Because so what does it say? It says, And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so the boat was being swamped by the waves. Same language, but he, Jesus, was asleep. But they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked, rebuked the winds and the sea, and, and there was a great calm. Matthew's saying, Don't you see? The Son of God is here. The Son of God has arrived, that even the storms, waves, and winds are rebuked by just his voice. The greater Jonah has come. And in Jonah chapter 2, don't we get a picture of Jesus once again, where Jonah is literally drowning and dying. We see him crying out, and, and what he says is hell. And then in verse 5, he says, The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. Weeds were wrapped around my head. At the root of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Just like Jonah, who had weeds wrapped around his head, don't we see the greater Jonah, who a crown of thorns is wrapped around his head? Where this Jesus who calmed the sea and who has arrived, where he performs miracle after miracle and is displaying the mighty work of the Son of God who all creation is created for. 
who in Matthew 27, 28 says, And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, twisting together a crown of thorns. They put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spat on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. We see Jesus, who because of our sin, literally is taken away to be crucified, and he takes the death that we deserve. And the Son of God, who has arrived, chooses to die on a cross. Taking the penalty that we deserve. Why? So that we live in grace. Because he is the greater Jonah. And if we stop there, we wouldn't have the gospel. Because just as we read in Matthew 12, where Jonah would spend three days in the belly of the fish, that Jesus would die on the cross and be in the tomb for three days. And Jonah would come out of the belly of the fish just as what? That Jesus' dead body begins to breathe as he comes out of death once and for all, showing us the sign that the greater Jonah has arrived. The greater Jonah. The sign that Jesus is talking about is the ultimate sign of grace that death will be no more. That Christ has paid it all And we now get to be in the presence of grace, in the presence of God. Do you believe in the resurrection? Do you believe in the grace of God? Is it real in your heart? Last Friday, um, uh, Christine had a doctor's appointment because we um, knew that we were seven weeks pregnant. Um, So she had a routine doctor visit and um, I was preparing dinner and I get a phone call from her and she's weeping. And she tells me that we actually, that we lost our baby. Just three weeks before that, we heard this baby's heartbeat. We were supposed to find out the gender of this baby that day. And last Sunday, as we were here in grieving and in tears and in, in, in what is happening, the word death being so real, I remember the resurrection. 
that death does not have the final say. That I can have hope to know that there's going to be a day where we will rejoice with this baby in heaven, with the resurrected king. That death will be no more. Do you believe in that, church? Because look, in chapter 3, we see this. What does it say? It says, where we see a pagan king come off of his throne to take off his robes and take clothes of the morning and sit at the ashes. And because the king repents, he sends a decree and the whole city follows in repentance that they would be saved or they would repent. We get the greater Jonah in Jesus who comes off of his throne and takes off his robes and takes on flesh to sit in our sin, to die. So that what? When God saw what he did by paying for the penalty of sin, that he would relent of the penalty of death, that we would gain Jesus' righteousness, that all who believe will be saved and that death will be no more. That is the gospel. That is the grace that we live in. Because God sent the ultimate mediator for his people. That because of the grace of God, we now get to live in the presence of God forever. Friends and family, all throughout Jonah, we see people who experience grace. They understand the word of God. They hear the word of God and they act on the word of God. Jonah preaches a five-word sermon and a city comes to repentance. Not because Jonah is special, but because saving happens, what, through God. There is something beautiful about broken people having life through Christ that boldly preach the word of God because they understand that death is no more. Do you boldly proclaim and live and preach the gospel, that the city of Austin would come to repentance. Let me put this last slide up here. This is one of my favorite illustrations. <laughs> the resurrection of Jesus kidding his wife. <laughs> so there, okay, he's giving me a no. Um, I can explain it. So in Japan, they have this art called um, kintsukiroi. Okay, I'm Asian. I butchered that. I'm sorry. I represented Asians wrong in that way. Um, but what they said is, and what it is, it's like it's a bowl that's broken. And what they said they w that Japanese people would do is they would take this broken bowl and um, they would put it together with gold. And they say that like, that, that this picture of, of this bowl is more beautiful because it was broken. And they say that this is an art form and a pottery that people spend hundreds of dollars to get these bowls. Now think about this. This bowl would be wasted if it was in a cupboard 
wasting away. It's only when this bowl is displayed for all to see that we get to see something that was broken being made more beautiful. If we are a people who live in grace, we also need to be a people who preach grace. So many times we want a story where we are swallowed by a fish. But remember, Jonah's story isn't about a fish. It's a story about what God's grace There's intentionality in every single one of your stories, but every single one of your stories is the powerful display of someone who was once dead that comes alive. And in the beauty of that story, it is the joy of receiving grace. It's the joy of displaying that grace. It's God rescuing the dead to be alive. And do not be bored with grace. Do not be like Jonah, but understand and proclaim the beauty of the gospel that God is the one who saves, and God is a God that is for our city. Will you proclaim the story of grace and boldness? That five words, a lousy sermon, makes the whole city of Nineveh, an evil city, repent they may know the grace of God. That we as God's people will preach with boldness the grace that we have through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, O Lord, for Jesus. We thank you, O Lord, that you would send the mediator, your son, Jesus Christ, who deserves all things, and would be your son, Jesus Christ, who deserves all things, that would choose to go to the cross to die for our sins, that we receive grace. Father, we ultimately thank you that it is your son, Jesus Christ, who dies on a cross for the story that doesn't end there, that, this, that your son of God conquers death once and for all as his dead body begins to breathe. And now we get to share in that resurrection. Father, we pray that that would be real in our hearts and our lives, that we will preach with boldness and display in boldness the power and the beauty of your grace and your gospel. The city of Austin would repent. So Father, use us to make an impact in this city. We thank you for all things. We love you. Let me pray all this in Jesus' name.